You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Where is God in all of this? What's the purpose? Remember, going back to my original statement, it was so that Israel could possess all of the land and make good on his promises that he not only made to Abraham, but also to David, as well as to the nation of Israel. And so please take that into consideration the next time that you feel as if your back is up against the wall where you're facing an enemy that seems greater than your capability to be able to deal with. Do you ever feel like God is not really there for you when it seems like your whole world is crumbling around you? Today, Pastor Mike tells us that sometimes we can't see the big picture of what God is doing. Isaiah writes that God's ways are higher and we can't always understand what he's doing at a given moment. Our loving Father has a bigger plan and you're a part of it. He's in control. He also promised that he wouldn't give you more than you can handle. Do you trust him with your life? Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 8 as he begins his message, Surrounded and Delivered. making of a man of God series studies in the book of 2nd Samuel and so we'll just pick up where we left off last time and that would be in 2nd Samuel in chapter 8 and the title is surrounded and delivered have you ever had that kind of experience uh, for yourselves in your life's experience where you feel as if you're surrounded by the enemy but guess what you'll always be delivered as a child of God It's in those moments where we feel as if we're surrounded by the enemy. We're dealing with all kinds of obstacles and problems and uh, situations where Jesus, with his Calvary, comes rushing in to save us. Isn't that true? If given the opportunity, I'm sure that many of you would be able to stand and share your own personal testimonies of what God has done for you in those kinds of times and situations. Okay, so we're in chapter 8. Let's begin in verse 1. Verse 1. After this, and after this is referring to the things that happened that are recorded for us in the previous chapter there in chapter 7, we read, After this it came to pass that David attacked the Philistines and subdued them, and David took Methagena uh, from the hands of the Philistines. Now, let me suggest, and you probably know this by experience, The transitions of the Bible, like those of life, 
can be very abrupt, unexpected, and confusing. We can go from one extreme to another. You've heard the expression, things can turn on a dime. Listen, how true that is. You know, all of a sudden, everything is just falling into place. Everything is just wonderful, and we've achieved the goals that we've set for ourselves. And, but then all of a sudden, it seems as if things go sideways. Things come up that are unexpected. Well, listen, in chapter 7, if you remember last time, last week, in verse 1, we were told how that the Lord had given David and all of Israel rest from their enemies. But now here in chapter 8, however, that peace has been shattered. And I don't think that it had anything to do with David, that is, to no fault of his own. And David, as well as all of Israel, are now ushered into a series of wars. And you know, at first glance, in reading verse 1, you might ask yourself the question, why? And what was the purpose in all of this? Well, listen, let me offer this as a possible explanation. The crowning of David as king over Israel, together with the establishment of his kingdom, was followed by these all-out attacks by the enemies of God, as we will see as we go through the remainder of this chapter. But we're very concerned about the way that David responded to those attacks. David could not be content with anything less than the fulfillment of God's purpose for himself and for the people that he ruled, that is, Israel. And as we will see this morning, all these powerful enemies surrounded Israel were completely subdued. And David, in each one of these conflicts, was successful, was victorious. And he subdued all of those who attacked him. Now, this is significant. It was for the first time and almost the last time in the history of Israel up to the present time that the people of God possessed the whole territory which God's covenant with Abraham said that he should have. Back when Abraham did not possess an inch of the land. Remember, God had spoken to Abraham and promised him, and that promise is recorded for us in the book of Genesis in chapter 15 and verse 18, unto your seed have I given this land, he's referring to the land of Canaan, the land of promise, from the river of Egypt, he lays out the boundaries, so from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. So in trying to answer the question, why did all of a sudden things seem to dramatically change for David? Well, this was all a part of God's plan, all a part of God's purposes. That is, he was making good in the promise that he had made to his servant Abraham, but not only to Abraham, but also to the nation of Israel, that they would possess the entire land. And up until that time, this hadn't taken place. Okay, so... Notice now, according to verse 1, the first nation to rise against Israel was Philistia, that is, the Philistines, the constant enemies of God's people. In fact, throughout First and Second Samuel, up until the present time, it seems as if Israel was always engaged in battle against the Philistines. Well, this contest, according to verse 1, is very brief we read only that David subdued them. Do you see that there? 
And also notice the reference to uh, Meth-Eg Gemma, notice there, uh, that can literally be translated the bridal of the mother city. In other words, David captured the city of Gath, the mother city, the Philistines' capital, the most powerful of all of the cities of the Philistines. And the city of Gath, by the way, was located in the south and controlled all of the trade from Egypt along the route uh, that was called the Way of the Sea. So that's the first battle that David is engaged in along with Israel, and they're successful in defeating the Philistines. Okay, let's read on now. Verse 2. Then, we are told, he defeated Moab, or the Moabites, forcing them down to the ground. He measured them off with a line. With two lines he measured of those to be put to death, and with one full line those to be kept alive. In other words, David killed two-thirds of the Moabite army. So the Moabites became David's servants and brought tribute. Okay, so now David is successful in this next conflict against the Moabites. So they're the next to attack the Moabites who lived east, southeast of Jerusalem and east of the Dead Sea. Now I find this kind of curious that David went to war against Moab and it raises the question, why did Moab even attack David? Remember back in 1 Samuel, in chapter 22, we discovered there that David entered into a treaty with the king of Moab when Saul, who had previously to David now ascending to the throne, was king over Israel, but he was seeking to take David's life. And so he was fleeing from one location to the next. And so he entrusted his mom and dad's care to the king of Moab. And they entered into this agreement. And also, you see, David had a history with the Moabites. I would also remind you that David's great-grandmother, whose name was Ruth, you're all familiar with that biblical character, Ruth, was a Moabitess. So David had a history with the Moabites. So we're not quite sure why they were engaged in this treaty that David entered into, whereby the king was responsible for David's parents. So we're not exactly sure what had taken place, but it has been suggested that the king of Moab betrayed David and the agreement that they had entered into and killed David's parents. But we're not given any indication of that in the scriptures. But many Bible teachers have suggested that that was the reason why they were engaged in battle. And this probably may have been unlikely, because remember, when David set up his kingdom there in the city of Jerusalem, he would have probably taken his parents along with them. So we don't know exactly why he engaged or entered into this conflict with the Moabites. Also, it is possible that this conflict was satanically charged, energized, and motivated by uh, the devil. And so, but we're not quite sure. So anyway, the Moabites, according to our text there in verse 2, field a formidable force, but after a bitter fight, 
David's army is victorious. And notice the breach of faith against David on the part of the Moabites, in fact, if he did kill his mother and father, is such a nature that David has two-thirds of the Moabites' army executed, according to verse 2. Now, this ensures that for at least a generation or so, they wouldn't be able to attack Israel. And then the country is placed under a tribute, according to verse 2. Okay, let's read on now, verses 3 through 6. And then we have the record of these other battles that David and Israel entered into. Verse 3. David also defeated Hadadizer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah, as he went to recover his territory at the river Euphrates. Now I'll explain all of this for you in just a moment. And David took from him 1,000 chariots, 700 horsemen, 20,000 foot soldiers, and also David hamstrung all the chariot horses. Now, this is a process in battle whereby the sinews of hind legs of the horses were severed, rendering them unable to move. So that would have produced them uh, useless. And then all the chariot horses, except that he spared enough of them for 100 chariots. When the Syrians of Damascus came to help Hadadizer, and the Syrians became David's servants and brought tribute. So the Lord preserved David wherever he went. Okay, so we have the record there, verses 3 through 6. So, the next nation to flex its muscles against Israel is Syria or Aram to the north. Those who do battle against Israel are from two sectors. We have Zobah the initial aggressors, uh, with its king, this fellow whose name is Hadad-Dizer, right? Aided later on by reinforcements from Damascus. And Hadad-Dizer, realizing that the Philistines and Moabites had failed militarily and that much depended upon him, goes to the river Euphrates to establish his supremacy there. He's seeking to cut off all trade to Israel from the east. Now, history tells us that also during this time, Israel was experiencing famine in their land. So this could be disastrous for their economy, that is, if the Syrians were successful. Well, David, as a wise leader, takes the initiative and intercepts them. And Hadad-Dizer had not expected such strong opposition and sends to Damascus for aid. They respond quickly, but after the dust has settled, notice Israel has sent a combined total of 22,000 men of this alliance to their deaths, according to verse 5. And David captures their chariots. Their horses are hamstrung, as I already mentioned and released, ensuring they will not rise again quickly to attack. In other words, their cavalry have been uh, disabled. And then notice in verse 6, David shrewdly places garrisons throughout the area formerly controlled by 
Damascus. And the reason for this was that he might be able to keep the trade routes open. And then notice also, he requires of them an annual tax or levy. You know, one after another, he's victorious in battle. And God is blessing him. God is prospering him. I want you to particularly take note of the phrase there in the latter part of verse 6, where we are told, and the Lord helped David wherever he went. Listen, gang, this phrase sums up this entire chapter. But it's a testimony to God's preserving power. You know, what was said of David can also be said of us. Remember in my opening statement, surrounded, right? How many times have we experienced that in our own life's experience, where we feel like, you know, it's lights out, things go sideways, things come up that are unexpected, and uh, we're facing a formidable enemy, and we don't know what to do. Well, listen, it's in times like that where we make our appeal unto God, and God will go before us. But it's a testimony to God's preserving power. And what God did for David, he will also do for you. You can be sure of that. So the idea here, then, is that no matter what strategy the enemy used, uh, let's bring this down to personal term. I want you to think about your own personal enemies. No matter what it is, whether it's a, you know, the devil using a, a person to afflict you or to say things about you that are untrue or you know, whatever problem or difficulty you're facing, the idea here is that no matter what strategy the enemy uses, whether it's chariots or cavalry or footmen, difficult terrain, the Lord always prospers his anointed, and he makes them successful. You know, let me give you a cross-reference for this. And next time you're facing something like this, hold on to this promise, because this promise is for you and for me. In the book of Isaiah, in chapter 54, in verse 17, there we are told that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Now, there are times when we feel so harassed. And, uh, you know, just because we're a child of God, we're not exempt from those kinds of situations, those kinds of experience, where we're just overwhelmed. And we begin to ask and question, where is God in all of this? You know, it's hard to, at times like that, to reconcile a God who is supposed to supremely love us. You know, why has God allowed this? Why has God allowed that to come into my life? And it's in times like that where we begin to ask the question, where is God in all of this? What's the purpose? Remember, going back to my original statement, it was so that Israel could possess all of the land and make good on his promises that he not only made to Abraham, but also to David, as well as to the nation of Israel. And so please take that into consideration the next time that you feel as if your back is up against the wall, where you're facing an enemy that seems greater than your capability to be able to deal with. So there are times when we feel so harassed, so overwhelmed, and then we begin to question whether or not God is working in all of that. But here is a wonderful example for us of perseverance against odds that are stacked up against us. Listen, David, and we should do likewise, put his trust firmly in the Lord. He called upon him, and guess what? God heard him. Listen, that's our first recourse always. 
call upon the name of the Lord. You know, for most people, it's the last recourse. You know, we try to get out of our situation, our dilemma. We turn to other people, right, looking for help. And when that fails, when all of the doors are shut in our face, you know, then we turn to God. But God should always be our first resort, right? We need to make our appeal unto God. David did exactly that, and he heard from God. You know, I think that that's what David was thinking about when he wrote the 60th Psalm. And I just want to highlight one of those verses for you. In the 60th Psalm in verse 12, and I believe that David wrote that Psalm out of this particular experience, he said, and I quote, Through God we shall do great things. And chapter 8 is all about David being able to do great things. And then he goes on, For he shall tread on our foes. So listen, just slip it on over to the Lord. Let him defeat your enemies for you. But also, let me temper and balance what I've just said out by saying, at no time did David and his army become slack, become complacent. They used every physical and spiritual resource and effort was made to gain the victory. And likewise, when we come up against our enemies, our problems, we mustn't back down. We must confront each one of them and use every resource at our disposal. And what are those resources? Well, prayer, as I've already suggested. Go to the Word, seeking counsel. You know, sometimes when we're facing life's problems, we don't know what to do. We don't know how to respond to those problems. Hey, listen, go to the Word, and God will speak to you there. It's there that God provides His counsel for us. He'll make a way. He'll give you the blueprint. He'll give you the ABCs. He'll answer your questions, right? God wants to do that. That's the way that God speaks to His people, through His Word. So take advantage of every resource that God has made available to us that's at our disposal. Well, let's go on now. Notice there in verses 7 and 8, in reference to the spoils of war. As I mentioned, David is successful in all of these campaigns, and what would follow would be the spoils of war. So in verses 7 and 8, we read, And David took the shields of gold that had belonged to the servants of Hadad-Dizer, and then we are told, And he brought them to Jerusalem. For what reason? And also from Beta and for Barotai, cities of Hadizer, that is, those were cities that he ruled over. And King David took a large amount of brass. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house. In the book of 2 Samuel, the king God anointed is finally on the throne. King David, the man after God's heart, is in the place God planned for him. Yet David is still human. And as you continue to study this book with Pastor Mike, you'll see that fact time and time again. David falls to the temptation of sin and reaps the consequences of his actions. But he does do one thing consistently. 
David repents when confronted and returns to the Lord. What an example of faithfulness and mercy. God forgives his chosen leader and restores the relationship that sin had broken. This same God is merciful to you, too, and his forgiveness is just as real when you come to him in repentance. Thanks for listening today to In My Father's House. You can explore more of these messages by searching for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio on your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to subscribe. If you're looking for a place in Midtown Manhattan to come together with others and worship Jesus, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday for worship at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You'll find directions and service times at harvestnyc.org. If this broadcast is an encouragement to you, would you consider supporting us? If you feel led, we're thankful for any financial support. In fact, you can donate securely on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. Thanks for partnering with us in this way. That's all for today. Tune in next time for more on In My Father's House.